to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Louisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah. Hello Falava listeners and shout out to Samoan Language Week this week. I'm here today with Des O'Leary who's the author of Slice of Heaven and Auckland Library's Top 100 of 2019 in the Young Adult category. It's a novel set in South Auckland about a motley crew of kids who get press ganged, the reference is theirs, into forming a softball team for their school. I should clarify that's the plot premise because the book is actually about them, their lives, their hopes and fears, including for the narrator a measure of first love. I'm not a young adult, but I love this book. It's a wonderful mix of realism, humor, and gentle optimism. And I should say my spirit absolutely soared when I came to the end, even though my throat still hurt from how I choked up not long before that. So masterfully done, Des. And talo falava, Des. Talo for Karen, thank you. I would never have guessed this was a first novel. So this makes me immediately think there's an interesting backstory to this. This is someone who's done um, a lot of teaching we see from the uh, author bio. And it is a story about teaching. But the author bio piques the curiosity because this teaching was done all around New Zealand and in the islands. So I thought perhaps instead of me reading the author bio, we should start. But you could tell me about your background and how you came to write the novel. Okay, thank you. Um I was born in, in Greymouth on the West Coast, grew up, went to university, and when I'd finished university, I wanted to go overseas, like, like a lot of young men, um, but because I had just been to university, I had no money, um, and I didn't want to be in a situation where I went overseas and three weeks later had to ring home and say, please send me my airfare home. Um, so I applied for um, for VSA, Volunteer Service Abroad, and I got a, a two-year contract to teach in Fiji on a small island there. So I, I taught there for two years and stayed for a, a further year um, on a local government contract. Came back to New Zealand and taught in mainly small, um, small town schools in New Zealand until the children sort of all, all left home. Um, I felt like a change and um, I applied for this job in, in Auckland, South Auckland and got that. So that was Aurere College, is that the way? That's, that's correct, yeah. yes. And, and that was when you actually moved to Auckland at that point. You had not yet been living in Auckland. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, and it was I, I, I found it really interesting because uh, from a small town background, I'd taught in, in small towns and when I moved to Auckland I hadn't lived in a city for 25 years um, I'd passed through it I'd read about it, heard about it um, but moving to Auckland and experiencing you know, working and living there was, was all new to me yeah, well, it's interesting um, because, you know, you're saying, so you were coming to the city from a small town. Yeah. When I moved to New Zealand, so that was 20 years ago, I was moving from a city 
and I moved into this inner suburb, so city, right. very city atmosphere. And the first time I went to South Auckland, um, more than just driving through, but for library work. So mm-hmm. I went into some of our wonderful libraries in South Auckland, Otara, Mangari East, Tupuyu. Youth. They're all really, really great libraries. And um, and I really felt that small town atmosphere, that the people on the street knowing each other and the sort of an atmosphere of um, friendliness and and... I know. To me, it was just really eye-opening. It was really lovely. It was certainly diff- different to what I expected. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Certain. Uh, there are little, quite close-knit communities. Yeah. You know, within sort of wider Auckland. Yeah. Know. Exactly. The close-knitness is what yeah. I really noticed because I think uh, the more citified parts of the city, people lament that if you talk to people who live, for instance, in Ponsonby and they're in their sixties or seventies, they lament when Ponsonby was a place. People have lived there all along, not right. people body now. They lament when people knew their neighbors and could, you know, get some help, go over to their neighbors and borrow a tool or something. Right. Um, so yeah, that's really. Um, so so you you taught for how many years there all together? In South Auckland, yeah, for, uh, about fifteen years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it gave you a lot of material. Is this oh, where yes. the material for the novel came from? Oh, very much yeah. so. Yes. Yeah. Um, so you had really you'd considered writing a book before, or you had when you so when did you start? How long did it take you to write this book? Uh, this this book took me a few years, and I had to rewrite it several times. Um, I've always wanted to to be a writer, and I've been writing since I was a teenager. Um, but this this is the first one I've had published, which is very exciting. Yeah. The first one you submitted to be published, or you had actually submitted work before? No, I've got I've got quite a um, a pile of thank you, but no thank you letters oh, right. from publishers. So exactly what writers all say they when people ask for advice, they always say, "Don't give up." Isn't that right? Oh, they, oh, everyone has a, led a number of rejections that they can quote. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm, I'm um, encouraged by the fact that you said that you'd been writing. You'd been you'd always wanted to write because um, the thing that I kept noticing reading the book was this doesn't read like a first novel. It's just. Um, so it masterful is, is the word oh, that comes to my mind. Yeah. Kind. Yeah. Um, so um, the mix, so one of the things I found most masterful, moving us right along, is the mix of the kids in the story. Um, so it's, it's I think reading it, what I kept thinking is this must have been, so reading it in the sense that I knew I was going to be speaking with you. <laughs> so I'm thinking about your writing process as opposed to the general reader. Uh, the difficulty that it might have been to avoid stereotyping when you're trying to include such a mix of children and yet, you know, to make them real and yet at the same time not um, sound like you're ticking, okay, I needed this ethnic type and this ethnic type. Um, I didn't find it difficult at all because pe- people are, are all different. Um, people often get labelled as, as or is one of that group or that particular group but within the group people are individuals and what I found when I was writing sometimes um, a character would start off and sort of almost take a life of their own and would end up in a place where I hadn't <coughs> intended at the start it's, it's quite uh, organic, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you didn't have the map on your wall of the plot goes from A to B to C. This child, the development, the character development. You took they took on lives as you were writing about them. Um, I, I did have I did have an overview, um, 
but how they got there did vary. Um, and, yes, and, and at times they had to change that overview. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the other thing that I really liked, uh, I don't, not I think, excuse me, <laughs> I'm taking up a New Zealand habit. I liked um, the fact that these, all of the children, um, young adults as they are actually, um, have a, a development, we're talking about character development, so one of the parts of the character development is their needing to learn tolerance um, right. among this different mix because yep. they get put together into this team not yes. by choice. They don't present them as a school and say we'll be a softball no, team. They're, right. they're picked, actually the opening scene, just for people who haven't read the book yet, they're actually in detention, aren't they, in after school detention. Right. Yeah. And, um, and they do learn in the course of playing together um, a, a acceptance of different types of, of, um, of person. And I was thinking that must have been difficult again, um, but you're going to tell me, oh, no, it wasn't difficult at all, <laughs> that um, to not be preachy and to, to be able to show this in such a way that didn't sound either didactic or preachy to have it come up so, as you said, organically. Um, sorry, no, it wasn't. It was easy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, it's interesting you, you mentioned the, the, the way it started. These um, A teacher comes up and drags these kids out of detention. And that actually happened. And, and I, I was the teacher taking the detention. Ah. Um, one of those joys of teaching. And um, another another teacher came up and said, look, we don't, we need nine boys. We've got a, there's a, a team from another school on the way to play softball. And we did. We picked them out. You, 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 you. Off you go. And, uh, and that sort of, that, that inspired that scene. Um, when I came to teach at, at Ariri College, the thing that really struck me was the multicultural nature of, of the place. I'd, I'd taught in, in various schools, but in small towns where there might have been two main cultures, but always one dominant culture. And all of a sudden I was in a school where there was no one dominant culture. Every, everybody was in a minority. Um, I think when I started there... The largest group was Samoan, but that was 28% of the school. And all the rest were made up of Pacific Island, Southeast Asian, Maori, um, a few Europeans. So in any one class, you would have um, students, you know, of five different religions, um, up to 12 different ethnic backgrounds. And I think in a, in a, a situation like that, you, you do learn to be tolerant. You You soon learn that... There are other ways of thinking about things. Um, and as well as everyone being different, you, you actually realise, well, we've actually got more in common than, than differences. There's more that we have together than we have separately. Yeah. Um, so when you say you learn, I'm thinking you mean both an adult who comes in, as you did, to yes. teach these students, but also the students among themselves. Very are. much so. Yeah. B- because um, the students themselves, they come from their own... Um, families, and a lot of them come with very strong, uh, strong family uh, values, and they come up against uh, people who, whose values are different uh, from different cultures. Um, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah. There's a, well, you could read us. So um, there's a wonderful scene where they're getting their uniforms. Uh-huh. Uh, so, of course, they don't have uniforms when they come, when they're in detention and they get called out for the first game. They just sort of make do, don't they? They do, yeah. So I'll, I'll read you that section. Okay, Miss Moala and Leilani handed out the uniforms. 
What's this? I can't wear this. Jordan held up a pair of orange softball pants, several sizes too small for him. Oh, these are sweet as. Nigel had already slipped the orange pants on over his black school pants. They're too short, TJ said, looking at his bare shins. They're supposed to be short, said Raj. They only go past your knees, and then you're supposed to have long socks. They look very nice. They make me look like a gay carrot, Hawkeye said. That's because you are one, Junior gave a high-pitched laugh. You want to be smashed? Hawkeye stepped towards him. Just joking, bro, Junior held up his hands. Nigel rested his hand on Hawkeye's arm. Cool it, bro. Hawkeye snorted and tossed his dreadlocks out of his face. You just watch your mouth, brother. You don't laugh at me. Now then, boys, focus. Let's get the gear sorted out, eh? You're in a team. You need to work together. Remember, we support each other. Jordan, we may not have the right size for you. Today, just play in your school uniform. Mr Green opened the wheelie bin. Here's the rest of the gear. Cool! Jordan reached under Mr Green's arm and pulled out a softball bat. Yeah, I got me a bat! He swung it, trying it for weight. The others scattered. Whoa, Jordan, hold up. Mr Green pulled out base mats, helmets, gloves, catcher's mask and chest protector. You guys can use that stuff. This is all I need. Jordan gave another fierce swing. Raj dived full length on the ground. Get out of the way, Jordan said. Chuck me the ball. This glove doesn't fit, TJ said. It goes on your other hand. See, your thumb goes in there, Zony showed him. I can't catch with my left hand. It feels funny. You throw with your right hand and catch with your left, Miss Moala explained. Come on, throw me the ball, Jordan insisted, as the others pulled on the black, orange and white shirts and orange pants. They all kept one eye on Jordan's swinging bat, ready to duck, jump or dive out of the way. Come on, who's the bowler? Throw me a ball so I can smash it out of the park. Pitcher, not bowler. We do need a pitcher, said Mr Green. That'd be me. Nigel picked the ball up and spun it in his fingers. Shall I be captain too, sir? I know all these guys. Yes, you can be captain today, Nigel. Thank you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I was holding back my my chuckles because <laughs> we are on the radio. It's very annoying to hear people's chuckles, but um, I love the part where they, um, it's, you know, it's a bowl the ball to me. So even though I'm American, I can remember the mysteries of baseball, softball, cricket. You know, right. learning all these different things, and um, and there's a really funny scene about the learning about the bases and the plates and the home plate and, right, and right. yeah, um, it's really really well done. Um, and along with that, there is also um, some darker sides in the novel, which is one of the reasons why it's so wonderful, because it, it doesn't, it is really a 360 degrees. Um, for instance, the issue of corporal punishment. So I really admire the way you didn't shy away from that. And I'm re- I'd be interested in hearing how it was for you. Um, so the, what I took away from how I read it was, uh, this is not okay, um, you know, firmly on the side of this is not okay, but also that um, it's also possible, if contradictory, that the person performing it is not necessarily a baddie, but it could be someone who mm-hmm. was brought up um, that that is the right thing to do for your children, and that's if you don't do that, they won't learn. So was this based on 
situations that you encountered when you were in your teaching in South Auckland? Uh, uh, yes, very much so. Um, you mentioned the "this is okay, uh, this is not okay" campaign, and um, you see around the place posters against domestic violence and that sort of thing. Well, those campaign uh, those campaigns are there because there is a need, um, and I think these days it's actually very healthy for people to be talking about things like um, mental health and domestic violence and that sort of thing because that's the talking about is, is the first step to um, doing something about it and, and trying to improve the situation um, and yes the a lot of the cultures at the, the, the school I was teaching at they were um, quite more traditional um, and in a lot of those traditional cultures they are quite strict quite firm about um, about the children, uh, boys and girls are often uh, treated quite differently. Um, and I, I would talk to students and, and, and talk to parents, and for a lot of them, it, w- it was just accepted that um, you know children were physically disciplined, um, in in the belief that that's that made them better people. Um, so, yes, I did understand that, but I also I didn't want to sugarcoat um, that these things don't happen. Mm. Even just the fact that you refer to it as violence is a large, you know, when you said important to get people talking about these things, labeling, labels are so important, we know yeah. that. So if you just call it a hiding, I'm just giving my kid a hiding, yeah. it's a lot different than having to say, I'm using violence on my child. Right. And and perhaps that's, because that is brought out, the um the leaflet that the counselor gives the father to take home. Right. And at first, isn't that the son thinks he's going to throw it in the rubbish and then he actually, he hears him talking to the mother about, well, maybe I'll give it a read. Yeah, yeah I, I, th- I think the, he, he did read it and did throw it away, but then thought about it. Oh, that was it. Yeah, and yeah. It, uh, so he read it and then he threw it away. But was what, sort of what the son was expecting. It would stop there yes. with it being thrown away. Yeah. And then he hears his, he hears him saying to the mother, "I'm going to pray for guidance on this yes. issue." Yeah. So yeah, I, you know, in terms of traditional cultures, so my um, middle European grandfather, my Czech grandfather, did the scene was identical to how my mother described with the belt coming off right. and the and the hiding for having you know not locked your bicycle after school or something yeah. like that. Um, so there's a lot of families still laugh about the wooden spoon. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, my parents had moved from the belt. We had a little stick. We had a little bamboo stick that sat on the shelf, mostly to remind us. Right. But um, I do remember one particular escapade where we were particularly stupid, I think more than bad. This right. is what I'd like to say. <laughs> we did get the, a touch of the stick. Um, and then another issue that you get in to the book is um, uh, uh, another controversial, difficult, many different sides, um, wrong to stereotype issue, which is the one about the opportunities that different children have. So some of the parents are clearly working double shifts to provide a better opportunity for their children. Right. They need a lot of help in the home, but they're, but they're focused on the children's future. And then there's, for instance, the party house down the road, yep. crowded with people who um, at one point are actually taken away by the police where the children are scared and um, and receiving absolutely no help at all. And um, there is a, a scene where it's Sion's father, I think, where he says... Um, 
he's actually sad. He describes it in a sad way to his son, saying, you know, they they just live waiting for the next check. Did you, was that to you a condemnation and that was all? To me, that reverberated with a sort of a um, understanding of however life does not give everyone the same opportunities and maybe they had not had opportunities. Oh, yes, I think so. Um as I say, when, when I came to live in South Auckland, it was quite a, quite a revelation to me um, because I had been, uh, we'd been living in the Bay of Islands and people said to me, why did you leave the Bay of Islands to go and live in South Auckland? And I thought, well, it's the best thing I've ever done. It was, it was a great experience. Um, and that's part of the reason that I, that I wanted to write the book as well because... So often when you, when you hear on the news or you, you read about South Auckland, it, it's often negative. Um, and I went to South Auckland and I found all these wonderful people. Um, you know, the vast majority, they're, they're good people, hardworking, strong family values. Um, and, and like most of us, they want a better life. They want to make a better life for their children. But yes, as you say, some don't have... Um, those opportunities and some families are very close-knit and work together unfortunately others are quite dysfunctional and that doesn't mean that just because you come from a dysfunctional family you, you can't achieve success yourself um, but it is harder there are, there are hard choices to make for a lot of young people that's that's really well said. I'm, I'm not going to talk on top of that because you've you've just said it perfectly. Um, and I, but what did make me think was how Sione. One of the things I love. So Sione. I don't know if we've said this to our listeners. His main character in the book, the one who we're seeing things through his point of view. When he sees, so they live in South Auckland. They've got the planes passing overhead, and he it occurs several times during the book where he looks up. They look up and identify the planes going overhead, going to different countries, and um, and he says he wondered if the people in the plane had lives as complicated as his and i love that choice of the word complicated it's that's not really a complaint it's just a recognition of there are difficulties but it's not calling oh my life um sucks it's my life is complicated yes yeah it is it is complicated for a lot of young people um you know, they they live at home and they have the the rules at home, the situation at home. Then they go to school, and perhaps the, you know the rules are a bit different, and so the way they behave at school is sometimes quite different to the way they behave with their parents. And then when they're with their friends, they'll behave in a, a, a quite a different way. It's, it's like a different set of rules. And I, I, I tried to to capture that. I'm not sure if I did. But, uh. I think you did. And it reminds me of, um, at the Writers' Festival, I went to hear Tina Makereti talk about her book about the young Maori who was taken to England in Victorian times. Right. And it's called The Imaginary Lives of James Ponake. And she was asked, why is it lives, plural? And she said it's about performance of identity. So people right. can perform multiple identities. That's what sort of these children yeah. are doing. So of your students who were performing their multiple identities, have yeah. you stayed in touch? Have you seen them? Because there's a story. Is, am I right that the launch, you went back to the school to have the launch of the book? No, that's right, yeah. Well, yeah. Tell us about that. That was wonderful. Oh, that, that was fabulous. Um, yeah, we, we had the launch in, in the library at Aurere College. Um, and when I was there, I, I actually took a junior softball team for a few years. Um, we took the rugby league team for a number of years. And the whole time I, I was there, I 
used to help out with the Samoan culture group for Polyfest each year. And, you know, that, that, that was really, really fun. And um, so we went back to the launch and um, we went back to school for the launch. The um, uh, Samoan uh, cultural group put on a few, da- a few oh, dances. That, that was fabulous. Um, barbershop Quartet um, came out. Um, this is a huge um, history of, of song and choirs and that in the school. Um, and some of the students performed a... A sketch I'd, I'd written. So I'd, I chose some little sections and asked them to choose which which they would perform. So, so as well as the speeches, we had that entertainment, which was really nice. Yeah. yeah so, um, did they give you? Have some of them told you about how they felt when did they read the book? And uh, quite a few of them have. Yeah, we're in touch with with um, a number of them on Facebook. Um, there's a when we first went there, my wife and I um, first went there, and for about the first four or five years, we taught the same kids in the sense that she would have a group at year nine, and then I would have as as her tutor group or form group, and then I would have the same group at year ten, and so you know we we came home, we would talk about the students, we got to know the students quite well. Um, yeah, we kept in touch with several of them on Facebook, and a number of them um, were, got quite excited uh, when when the book came out. And so, and some of them performed in these skits. Uh, no, 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 that's the current students. Oh, not, that's, not, that not was our, done more recently. Yes. Oh, I didn't yes. realize that. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. for the launch. Yeah. 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 So, um, in terms of the, so, so is it still Ordinary College, however, who are doing these this work with the sketches? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what's, what, for example, what scenes, is there maybe a scene that you've used that that's later in the book than the one that we just read, which is right at, at the very start? Yes, and in fact, the one they chose to perform was the one that you mentioned where um, one of the boys who's never, never, he's not a team player, he's, he's never played sport before, um, but he's got a, a, a good hand, you know, throwing the ball, and, and they get him to be the pitcher. And the teacher is trying to explain how softball works. Well, read us. Uh, can you <laughs> give us a quick reading? We've got a few minutes left. It'd be okay. wonderful. Give a taste of the beginning and a taste of the development. Okay. So Mr. Green's the teacher, and the, so the Vietnamese boy Hugh, Hocko put on the catcher's mask and chest guard, and stood back by the pavilion. Mr. Green spoke to Hugh. Now, don't try to pitch it too hard. What's pitch mean? Mr. Green closed his eyes. Sione wondered if he needed to go and have a quiet cup of tea. A pitch is when you throw the ball, when you bowl it. In softball, we say you pitch it. He looked at Hugh as if he thought the boy was mocking him. Hugh shrugged. Okay. Right, the next thing. In softball, you pitch the ball underarm he demonstrated. You don't throw it like in baseball or bowl it overarm like in cricket. Well, I don't play those games either. Fine. Mr. Green rubbed his forehead as though he was getting a headache. Now, when you pitch, the ball has to go over the home base. Hugh raised his eyebrows. Mr. Green pointed at the mat in front of the catcher. Behind Oko, a large smoke-free logo was attached to the pavilion wall. Looks like a doormat. It does, but it's called the home base. Okay. Good. So the ball is pitched underarm. Got that. 
and it goes over the plate. What's that? Mr Green rubbed his eyes again. Sione wondered if he was going to cry. That thing on the ground. The doormat? I thought that was a base. Yes, the doormats are called bases. There are four of them. First, second and third. That, that was really wonderful. And um, I wanted to say, so Sione, who's mentioned there, is the, the, the main character that we see the world from his eyes. And he has a wonderful scene at the end, which you will have to get the book to read, about his first attempt at writing, which was the part that actually made my heart sore. Okay. And so did the whole book. So I just really want to say thank you for coming in. And um, it's just been a real pleasure to talk with you today. That's my pleasure. Thank Looking you. forward to the next book. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that's um, Kakite Ano, everyone, and we'll see you next week. And Tofa. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond.